Hello and welcome to the Sonic Cinema Podcast. My name is Brian Scuttle. Thank you for joining me at www.sonic-cinema.com as well as the Sonic Cinema Podcast YouTube page. Um, we are going to continue with the uh, Class of 1999 series with a, uh, with a double feature, actually. Um, and I to uh, discuss it, I'm joined and pleased to be joined once again by... Uh, Friend of mine from uh, grade school and high school, as well as the host of Snarky Faith, uh, Mr. Stuart Deloney. Thank you very much for joining me again, Stuart. I'm excited to be here, Brian. <laughs> I think I think uh, I, I've I think I was on Sonic Cinema like probation for a year, and so <laughs> I've I've paid my debt to society. I'm back here. Well, uh, yeah, and, well, and probably the weirdest double feature of all time. It, if it you were. Is? But you know what? I mean, you and I had a little bit of a discussion earlier that, like, these two have a little bit more in common than I think both of us kind of expected before we rewatched them. And uh, this this is part of why we're combining the two movies. Um, so we we are if if you re will recall, as Stuart uh, teased earlier. Um, not only was I on Stewart's show uh, discussing Christian films last year, he was also on the Sonic Cinema podcast where we discussed The Passion of the Christ. Um, in those discussions, uh, the two movies uh, we are discussing today actually came up, and in very different ways, and uh, it's it's going to be interesting to uh, have this discussion. Uh, the, the two films are Kevin Smith's Smith's Dogma, as well as the Omega Code, um, right? That right there, uh, you, you're probably scratching your head and going, "What the hell do these movies have in common?" <laughs> <laughs> or, or what the hell is an Omega Code? I think that would. <laughs> and even I'm not completely sure after watching the hundred minutes that either. of that movie. Uh, <laughs> that, <laughs> but at the same time, I. I when I brought up the Omega Code last year, I think it was on our Passion of the Christ discussion, I brought it up because of the fact that it was one of the first movies that I remember being actively courted by towards uh, evangelical Christians, by mm -hmm. that uh, movie-going fan base. And mm -hmm. when you when you realize that it was financed and distributed in part by Trinity Broadcasting Network, mm -hmm. uh, which I had forgotten, um, that makes a lot of sense. Yes. <laughs> uh, it, yeah, it's the beginning. It's kind of the beginning. It's it's like it's yeah. what started like that whole movement, which uh, which surprised me. I didn't realize it was actually before Left Behind. Yes, it was a year before Left Behind, but they basically did this the same type of thing where it's like they didn't really focus as much on the theatrical experience, but they promote the theatrical experience to get people to watch the movie on DVD. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was the, these were these sort of trial runs that you would see continue on, continue on. And then passion of the Christ came out and the way Mel Gibson promoted that to evangelical Christians just blew the door open for Mm -hmm. I mean, everything from, we talked about Chronicles of Narnia and freaking Evan Almighty, <laughs> as well as the groundswell that we see of uh, faith-based um, studios that, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I, I was writing my uh, review of the Omega Code 
uh, before we before we talked today, and I I liken the faith based uh, cinema. I I liken this genre now to horror, where there's a huge mm. glut of it, and only about like maybe 30 some of it's better produced than others mm -hmm. i'm you know depending on your mileage within the genre is how much you're going to get out of it yeah and and and, and both of those two which is interesting you mentioned mention that in both those two we both have nicholas cage dipping his toes in the water yeah and <laughs> not that that matters but no uh <laughs> More successful than others, though. I thought Mandy is interesting, but yeah, I, I, I was horror-wise. Yeah, I thought Mandy was uh, pretty terrific. Um, but, I mean, you also had Wicker Man as well with his oh, yeah. deleted scene of uh, not the bees. <laughs> um, but going back to the Omega Code, uh, this so so this is. Let's go. Let's go ahead and just say this: this movie is awful. <laughs> Yeah, this, this yeah. movie is atrocious. Um, mm -hmm. it it doesn't hold. There, there's. It's. I think when I first, I think I first saw it in like two thousand, two thousand one. I think I just ran it because I was kind of curious about it, and I, I, I was like, eh, it's, it's, you know, I, I was very, eh, maybe there's something decent about, it, but it's like I watched it this morning and no, I, it's not good at all. It's pretty damn terrible, actually. Um, like, and, and the funny thing is it's, it's one of these conspiracy thrillers, um, about religious, about, uh, religious sort of dealing in religious iconography, but it's hilarious to me that like evangelical Christians got, you know, so pissed off by the Da Vinci code later, you know, when it basically was doing the same type of thing. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> It, it was, and it's it's and it's kind of just a bunch of religious gobbledygook that they're just throwing against the wall and kind of seeing which aspects of it kind of stick. Yeah. And not much sticks. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think pretty much anytime you have a movie that's like starring Casper Van Dien, yeah. you know, you're 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 already off. You're already you've already shot yourself in both feet. And the thing um, is, it's like Van. It, it's funny because Van Dien was actually in. Um, well, I think he had Tarzan movie that came out ninety nine too. <laughs> Uh, really cheap, lame Warner Brothers Tarzan movie, I think. And then he, and then later in the year, he was actually in Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow, where he oh, was yeah. basically like the generic love interest of Christina Ricci's character. Mm -hmm. um, but it was funny. It's like I, I couldn't help but think of because I, I love mystery science theater. I love riff tracks <laughs> and stuff like that. And, they they've actually done a couple Van Dien movies over the years live. They did Starship Troopers, which was their first live, one of their first live programs. And then this year, like this month, they did uh, Star Raiders: The Adventures of Saber Rain. It came out awesome. in two thousand seventeen, <laughs> and it looks like a movie that came out in the mid nineties. Yeah, that's that's the level of quality. And all I could think of watching the Omega goes. Like Rift Tracks really needs to take this, take this and do this live to sort of yeah. flesh out the Van Dien trilogy that they're working on <laughs> uh, in their live <laughs> That's shows. A good idea. Um, yeah, this this is. Uh, I mean, how do we even get into talking how about this movie? That's the that's the fascinating thing. 
It is. Well, it feels like it feels like actually like it's it's a bad movie from 1999, but it feels like a bad 80s movie. Yes. The way it's thrown <laughs> together, like like just music and everything, yeah. and um, and even like there's it, it's yes it. To me, like well, the thing that kept getting me was the characters have no motivation to do anything, and and it's almost like they're bipolar the entire way through. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm gonna do this. No, I'm gonna do this, and. And yeah. it just it boggles the the mind that that someone actually wrote this and produced this. Yeah, and and what's even more mind boggling is I don't know if you remember or if you looked it up, they made a sequel to this. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> a couple of years later, uh, Megiddo, Omega mm-hmm. Code Two. Um, which which how do you do a sequel to a movie that supposedly kind of neat neatly tidied this whole thing up? At the I, end of I, it, your your guess is I, is mine, but I honestly, don't want to find out though. <laughs> but honestly, Hollywood's been doing it for years. I mean, so I I can't really say anything. Um, so let let's try to explain this movie as much as possible. Basically, okay, yeah. basically there is a computer program that a rabbi in Ju- in Jerusalem has created that. Scans through the Torah looking for, you know, hidden prophecies in the Torah. And these prophecies are being used by a media mogul who is also supposedly a humanitarian to lift himself into a place of power that revolves around uh, peace in the Middle East between mm-hmm. Israel and Palestine. Yes. Um, and Oh, by the way, and so, and Casper Van Dien is somebody who is like a motivational speaker who is also interested in finding hidden prophecies and hidden, uh, hidden codes within the Bible, mm-hmm. who is brought into the world of this uh, media mogul. And it turns out, spoiler alert, the media mogul is the Antichrist. <laughs> this is about as bonker, and what he's doing is he's leading up to Armageddon, mm-hmm. and, and using this, these prophecies to get him there. <laughs> I, I actually feel like this this movie really is kind of showing us what it was like to uh, probably for Jared Kushner trying to <laughs> broker peace in the Middle East because we have we I mean we have this we have yes he is what he's like he has like a double PhD. He's yeah. a professor. He's a motivational guru. Yes. Um, and he also randomly like drives a Ferrari um, at one point early in the movie too, where I'm just like, wait, what? Like, how many things is this guy all at once? He's just the oh, perfect man. And and throughout all of it, he has what I consider the bread and butter of a faith based of faith based cinema. He has broken relationships with his wife and daughter. Mm-hmm. And he has and he has like mommy issues. Oh yes. That's that's right. How how can I forget this when all of this other <laughs> stuff is coming on? Oh right, the movie does. That's how I forgot it. Um, <laughs> I I feel you know the funny thing is it's like all of this is based around peace in the Middle East and stuff like that. But I feel like both sides could at least agree that this kind of shits on how complicated the that idea is. Yeah. It's like I feel like if you showed this to the Israelis and Palestinians, they would at least agree on that. Like, yes, yes. I think th- this movie here? could help make peace in the Middle East. <laughs> yeah. You've just done it. You've done, you've done what no one's been able go. to do, bro. We, we got it. Um, Big news here. 
Unacceptable. <laughs> this this is such a bananas movie. I mean, you know, before you even get into the idea of, you know, the the humanitarian becoming being the antichrist or being possessed by the antichrist. I'm not even quite sure which which one it is. It's just they play a little loose and fast with that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just ridiculous what they're uh, going for here. Um, one of the things that I found most interesting, I'm curious if you agree with me on this. Um, for me, if I boil this down, movie down thematically, if I boil down what story that we can decipher about this thematically, <laughs> this is a movie about people finding meaning that they want to find in the Bible in a way that benefits them. In that respect, this feels like the perfect representation of current American evangelicalism. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, and this is, I mean, this, you're right. I mean, especially with this kind of being on the heels towards the rise, I mean, uh, towards the rise of uh, really the religious right and you being able to see that, uh, what was this back in 99? And so the rise of even just like Christian media, um, and, you know, or the rise of just really bad movies, I mm-hmm. guess, as we're doing this. Well, real but, bad music, movies existed before this, but... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> these are... Yeah, oh, that's true, that's true. But yeah, these are... Well, it's but it's kind of bad movies that have a built-in audience um, just because of where you hang out on a Sunday. Um, or Yeah, and so it it is... Yeah, I mean, the idea... And, and a lot of this, why this was probably hitting a lot of notes during that time period, like evangelicals have been obsessed with like the end times or like mm-hmm. revelations. And and so this one is, it, it's a very kind of bad reading of yeah. probably theology and scripture in many ways. But, you know, I, I, but I do like the idea that somehow that the Bible is like a 3D holographic computer program mm-hmm. that tells us when everything in history goes down. Yeah. It even, yeah, we had like <laughs> Princess Diana died here and it told us, and I was like, well, that's oddly really specific. <laughs> Yeah, I completely forgotten that when that came up. I'm like, wait a minute, what? Yeah, <laughs> I was makes no sense whatsoever. No, but I will say the I feel like the unsung hero of this entire movie is the printer. Um, yeah, <laughs> because because it is like this the program the program like like randomly spits out prophecies um, from some sort of old and they had like the same shot that they used yeah. every time and the same music <laughs> and it was like dramatically slow something going through a printer like a 90, like a 1999 printer so it's slow too yeah. We're like what could it be what could it be um and prints it in the world's largest font either the printer but really does have the most important and informative dialogue in the entire movie yeah um it, it, the printer matters the most of the plot we'll just go yes, ahead and say that yes this is this is essentially true um I, I will say I will say there's another thing about this movie that I really like, and we we talked about it a little bit earlier. Uh, <laughs> you you have Michael Ironside as as the uh, the as the humanitarian sort of uh, I don't know bodyguard assassin. Mm-hmm. He he's his right hand man. That that's mm-hmm. basically what he is. Um, you can't really go wrong with Michael Ironside in anything. Like he's going to give you exactly what you yeah. need for a movie like this. Oh, it is. I think that's what is it like? Isn't that like his motto? Like Michael Ironside being like a one-dimensional dick since 1950. Yeah, basically. you know, it's one of those. Like that's he's the same in every, like Top Gun. He's the same in everything. Yeah, but he does what he does well. 
and like at the very beginning, like he's the one who kills this rabbi <laughs> who's created this software, and he's wearing a rabbi's outfit. And I, I'm like, I don't know about you. It felt a little racist, like some of how they were portraying the Middle East. I was going like, oh, yeah. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Everybody does not look like, look like an Orthodox Jew in the Middle East, like yeah. the stereotypical thing. And that's it was like that or like every Palestinian looks exactly like that. I was like, oh, gosh. Yeah. But I mean, leave, leave it to leave it to Christians to run with stereotypes. Yeah. God, God, God forbid. Um, yeah. And and honestly, like the fact that we only see Michael Ironside in that outfit for a couple scenes disappoints me. Um, but yeah, like like you said, it's uh, it's like really you can't do more with that. I mean, that would at least make this really absurd and entertaining. I mean, it's yes. entertaining for a lot of reasons, but not really for anything when it comes to story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and it's. I I had forgotten like I you know when we when we talked about it we we talked about like this how this was one of the first big movies that sort of like catered to evangelical Christians and you know they really made a point of targeting that audience it's like I looked it up on Box Office Mojo earlier it only made twelve million dollars which granted yeah. is about double its budget but it's like I really thought it made a little bit more than that yeah. but. At the same time, it's like that's actually not that's not bad numbers for an indie. It really yeah. isn't. And when you consider the fact that, you know, like with Left Behind the next year, they were basically targeting they were basically trying using the theatrical release to drum up the video release. And mm-hmm. that I mean, that's that's something that happens now with indies. It's like yeah. you play screens, you play you know, you play limited releases in uh, certain cities, and but you're basically your big push is the video release, the video mm-hmm. on demand release now, and uh, yeah, I I was just kind of surprised that the movie had made as little as it did, but honestly, it's like yeah, I guess that kind of makes sense. Except but, for wait, but but the sequel, Brian. The sequel, if you were worried about a movie not making much money, uh, the sequel was uh, it cost. So again, like I think I looked this thing up too. <laughs> so the original one, like the I, it was, I was way too fascinated with this movie. Um, that the original was eight million dollars and, and supposedly brought in twelve or like yeah. twelve point six. Yes. The sequel, they went they went big. It was twenty two million. Oh my word! And it brought in six. Um, so, <laughs> so, so you, you basically went three There's times a lot of diminishing returns of here. the original. Yeah. yeah. And then, oh yeah, you, you made like a quarter of that, but. Yeah. 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 Basically. Yeah. <laughs> Again. What I could go even, wrong? I don't even know why a sequel to this was even made. Uh, when, when did you. Which, which still has Michael York in it, which still has yes. Michael York in it. But yes. It, but yeah. But yes, not Casper. It was because, oh, you know, tear. he's supposedly the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael York, no doubt, he, Michael York doing a fantastic James Mason impersonation, I'm going to mm-hmm. say. Like, his, his voice, if I didn't know any better, I would swear James Mason were in this movie. Um, if you're not familiar with him, he was in North by Northwest, he was in Lolita, Kubrick's Lolita, and a bunch of other, a uh, bunch of other fantastic movies. Um, Michael York, sounding like him, basically, it completely absurd role in this movie 
it was, but I kept <laughs> expecting it to be like Austin. That's my mother. Yeah. You know, like for I kept it. I just kept hearing Austin Powers like as I'm listening to him talk, also at the same time, which, uh, which would have made it more interesting. But <laughs> so I know, I know you you just rewatched the movie yesterday. Mm-hmm. Did you? Yes. Had you seen this when it came no. out or around the time no. that it came out? No, no. I mean, I think like I was good. Okay, so this is so we're okay. Ninety nine. We're going back. Uh, no, I, I've like tried to actively, I've always, I've grown up around the evangelical world. And usually when people would start trying to push, like, you have to watch this, like in this time, what was this? Probably VHS or DVD. I don't even know, but they were pushing this on that in between. Like they were still doing VHS, but DVD was starting up. So I just remember when people would actively try to push this stuff, I would be like, "Mm, no, I'm good. Or, (laughs) or I would take it and be like, and not watch it and hand it back to him later. It was great. (laughs) And I just, I read the back cover. Um, no, like I, this is the kind of thing that I probably wouldn't have, it would have been hard to sit through. Mm-hmm. Um, and like it was again now, yeah. I mean, um, I feel like it's, it's even more funny cause I've kind of become more jaded towards this whole, um, <laughs> this whole realm of things, but yeah, um, I hadn't watched it and I, and I'm actually, you know, I go back and pat myself from 1999 and say like, good job there. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't. You didn't waste yeah. any of your time back then. No, I wasted time didn't. on other things, but not this. Um, uh, yeah, it's like, and and this is a movie that it it tied. And there were a lot of films in this year that do this. They they tied into anxiety about the millennium, anxiety yeah. about the upcoming millennium. And it's like, you 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 had other movies like, I mean, heck, even Office Space tie like really m- makes light of it because of the fact that it's like their whole. Way thing is they're basically using this software to exploit like the Y2K bug of you know yep. how how software works, and then you have Fight Club. Then then you even had uh, End of Days, the Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> movie, and it's another movie that uses religion icon religious iconography and sort of pseudo religious ideas to basically tell the story of the apocalypse. Yes, um, another very bad movie that does that. Um, although I think that's slightly better, which Grant isn't saying much, but <laughs> <laughs> true. Um, yeah, this this is uh, God. There did have you have you seen this 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 movie? Like we we've talked about the plot. It kind of it's sort of like numerology in the same in the same. I mean, in same ballpark. Not exactly yeah, the same. Yeah, thing. yeah. I can't help but think about Pi, the Darren Aronofsky film. Oh yeah, where that plays a little bit of a role into it as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, near the end, like these these religious scholars try to get the main protagonist of their, you know, who's a mathematician who looks mm-hmm. at numerology and stuff like that, um, to try to decipher the Bible in the same way. Um, I did. Did you? I'm I'm a film score junkie. I love film music. I've been obsessed with film music for about 25 years or so it's basically the main music they listen to did you notice uh did you happen to notice who wrote the music for this movie uh i i noticed it when i looked it up okay um when it for this but it was <laughs> yeah it, there was well there actually it was like at least credited with two different people um but i wasn't quite sure about that one but yeah, yeah it was <laughs> yeah it this, the, well, which would make sense because the score is incredibly uneven mm-hmm. um, throughout this movie, and it yeah, it goes from just ridiculous to sappy to ridiculous, and 
I don't know. I, but actually, though, the score may be a better actor than Casper Van Dien. This is true. This is true. Um, I because I, it at least tells us how to feel. Yeah. The, dun, dun. the score isn't the score isn't good. It fits the movie well though. Um, so, <laughs> it does. So the the main composer is Henry Manfredini. Mm. If if you're a fan of film music, if you're a fan of and it's fitting that I mentioned the horror genre earlier, um, Henry Manfredini's best known as the composer on not just the first but many of the sequels to Friday the Thirteenth. Mm. He wrote one of the most iconic horror themes of all That's time. And here he is writing music for a cheesy ass religious thriller. Mm-hmm. And it's like when when I noticed that, I I couldn't help but think, oh my God, you've got to be kidding me. Really? He 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 scored this. But you know, and the thing is, it's like as somebody who's a fan of at least the first couple Friday Thirteenth movies and is mm-hmm. relatively familiar with that music, it's like you you listen to the score for this, and it's like, yeah, okay. I mean that that yeah, that sounds like him. Yeah, it it sounds like that. But yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Like the score does a lot of heavy lifting where the actors really drop the ball. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> But but in many ways too, especially back in those days. I mean, um, you can correct me because you're more, you're you are the film critic here, and uh, but in this though, but uh, old horror movies too, they were incredibly low budget. So oh, I don't yeah. know if it's you know if it yeah. you know it's the idea from going from low budget to low budget to low budget. Your paycheck as a composer, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be less, and it's good, but it's gonna still put food on the table. Oh yeah, no doubt. Yeah, and I mean, it it just is is hilarious to me, and actually it it's. It's going to tie into something when we get to uh, Dogma that these movies inexplicably have in common, um, <laughs> uh, at least from a production standpoint, if not from a quality standpoint. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I and I never saw the sequel to this movie. I'm kind of interested now. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm interested enough to check it out, but at the same time, it's like I remember when that movie came out because that was when I first started working at the theater and I think we still had it. I think mm. we still had it in theater. So it's like, I remember seeing it on the marquee, but um, yeah, I never saw it. I'm not sure if I ever will. We'll, we'll see about that. But uh, no, but I will, I will thank you, Brian, <laughs> for this because you'd also know that you've asked me to watch movies before and, and there's certain ones that I'd be like, I don't want to go to a movie theater and pay money yeah. <laughs> To somehow like validate this, and so Brian, Brian was just a wonderful human being, and sent me a YouTube link uh, that had the movie in its entirety. And I will tell you, if anyone is wanting this, Omega t- uh, Omega Code Two is in its entirety on also YouTube on YouTube. Well. Yeah, I know. Because that. I noticed that yes. earlier. <laughs> because no one cares about the copyrights of these movies at all. Yeah, I mean, I they, think most people are know, just ashamed to say they were part of it. I and the thing is, it's like I'm I'm sure. You know, at least Trinity with this one made their money back. I have no doubt about that. They probably made a little bit more money. You know, who mm-hmm. who knows whether Begito ever got in the Owl of the Red? Who and honestly, who who gives a rat's ass at this point? Oh. Um, no, I, but televangelists <laughs> know how to make money, which was like yeah. t- tried to Trinity. I mean, so the, yeah, the fact of better one way or another, like, they got their we, money. We've yeah. sort of, we've sort of discussed this before when it comes to you know faith based movies and this mm-hmm. this industry of faith-based movies where it's like the the craft of movie making is not the priority and yeah. you know 
So the 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 fact of the matter is, it's like it it just doesn't matter to them necessarily how the movie turns out, so long as they can turn a profit and maybe yeah. like get people interested in what they're saying. Um, but but that actually, but what you're saying that's what's the funny part though. Like what they're saying, like usually they would probably argue, well, like uh, it's all really just about the message. Yeah. And and watching this movie, I'm like, I'm left with like, I don't really know what the message is either. Like, I have no idea. Yeah. Like, like, are you, if you're trying to push me to go to church, this isn't going to do it. Uh, well, I feel like I feel like we probably exhausted everything we can talk about with the Omega Code, <laughs> at least for now. And, oh yeah, we can probably hop back. That's fine because we can we can move from one giant piece of shit to another. And uh, you know, talk talk well, about well you know things like the Golgothan shit demon from Dogma, yes, uh, Kevin yes. Smith's movie, and um, this this I know you and I talked about that when we were talking last year about faith based movies, or about movies about faith and about religion. This is one both you and I have great affection for. Yes, yes, and uh, it's really and. Not surprisingly, because of uh, uh, because of how genuine I feel this movie takes its message, it naturally got into a lot of trouble with religious groups when it came <laughs> out in 1999. Uh, you know, a lot of people, especially when it came to the Catholic Church, they were not fan. They they were not fan of what they thought Kevin Smith was saying. And mm -hmm. even what he was saying, because chances are most people didn't even see the movie. Yes. Um, and, you know, Kevin Smith, a devout Catholic, felt the need to, you know, defend the movie as well he should. Um, and the funny thing is, I had forgotten this about until yesterday. I forgot about the fact that this movie, like everything he had made before, uh, well, okay, most everything, because I forgot Mallrats was not from this studio, but most everything he had made before was Miramax, mm -hmm. um, which at the time was owned by Disney. Mm -hmm. I forgot that Miramax actually sold this movie, and I think Lionsgate ended up distributing it um, for theatrical release after all of the hoopla. Um, mm -hmm. I'd completely forgotten about that until yesterday. And, uh, you know, it's it's not terribly surprising that, you know, studio as conservative as Disney would, you know, have the wine scenes do this. Um, it, it, it made, ultimately, if you really think about the movie, the movie, the hoopla over it is not, is not as it doesn't really deserve the hoopla over it as far as all the controversy i mean i guess if you're i guess for the more conservative branch of yes religious institutions religious uh people i guess i can i can completely understand how dogma is as controversial but i think most of us saw this movie and were like yeah you're really overstating things well, I mean, I think that you, you can leave it to, uh, especially like conservative Christians and evangelicals, to uh, to generally be outraged and misinformed, because um, those things tend to go together. Because, like you'd mentioned before, I'm assuming most people did not actually watch this movie; they just heard about it, they made assumptions about it, and that's where the outrage came from. I yeah. mean, it reminded me of you've probably read about this. It's like happened over the last week, even with 
um, conservative Christians calling for Netflix to cancel Good Omens, the, <laughs> the TV show, you know, the TV show that's on Amazon. Amazon. Prime. So yeah, 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 Amazon Prime. And so yeah, so again, this is like, but that shows it's a perfect example of like yeah. the misinformation for what it is. And even like I'm, I'm still like I'm going to do a show, uh, an entire show on just Good Omens because I, I find it fascinating. Um, just like with Kevin Smith, I mean, I find a lot of what he's doing, or at least what he's trying to do, um, it's it's genuine and it's theologically curious. Yes, it's kind of how I would leave it. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things that I I love the most about this movie is that it ultimately doesn't it doesn't come down one way or the other on. Mm-hmm. Well, religion is good. Religion is bad. Religion, faith is good. Faith, mm-hmm. you know, faith is important. That's the ultimate thing that matters. And it's like, mm-hmm. um, it's you know, and serendipity. The Salma Hayek character has a great line about it. Um, you know, at at the uh, well, it's not. I don't know. It might be at the midpoint of the movie, but I mean, they've they've run into serendipity at a strip bar because i mean she's she's a muse so she's inspiring you know she she's inspiring the people with the strip bar and uh <laughs> yeah i gee i can't imagine why you know religious people would dislike this movie um <laughs> no i mean i it's very body it's a very body movie but it's ultimately i it's more respectful to the idea of religion and having faith than people give it crap for I mean, it's something yeah. that really, it's it's something that really matters to Kevin Smith. It's that's very mm-hmm. obvious when you look at the screenplay. You look at the way the story progresses. It's it's such an insightful. It's insightful about him, and yeah, it just happens to be surrounded by dick and fart jokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but I, but I also I also feel like that it, it speaks to like. You know, it feels it feels very personal in many ways. Yeah. Um, you know, to Kevin Smith's uh, wrestling through in faith, but but I think w- the beautiful thing about this, especially that when we like, you contrast to how uh, you know the other film, like The Omega Code, where everything was bigger, 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 mm-hmm. like on the world scale. But I think the beauty of a lot of dogma is just like the the common ordinariness of faith. Yeah. Um, the, you know, there's these common, and again, I understand we're dealing with demons and and angels and all that stuff, mm-hmm. and that doesn't feel common or ordinary. But usually, like the struggles that are going on with uh, with the characters in the film are very common. They're very ordinary, but they're very human and they're very real. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the questions they're bringing up are ones that that I thought were just they were honest. And 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 at least for me and 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 faith, I'll I'll take raw honesty over uh, like bullshit piousness. Yeah. Any day of the week. Any day of the week. Yeah. I I, I love that this is because this is this is essentially another, you know, big end of the world movie mm-hmm. when it comes to faith. Cause I mean, the whole idea is if Bartleby and Loki go through use this loophole in Catholic dogma to go through the you know, to go through go into the church and then come out uh, you know, free of sin, Clean. they yep. essentially destroy the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I love that you've got these large stakes on it in this movie, but at the same time, it's such a small, it's such a small, it's done on such a small level mm-hmm. that it's all about the characters. It's all about yeah. the characters along the way. It's about Bartleby and Loki, played by Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, and it's about Bethany, played by Linda Fiorentino, who's a 
who who's a Catholic who's who doesn't really have faith right now in her life because of things that have happened in her life, she is she is recruited um by God through the amazing <laughs> Alan Rickman, the late great oh, Alan Rickman, who's yes. amazing in this movie. Is. To go on this journey to stop Bartleby and Loki from going through the church. Mm-hmm. And she gets all this help along the way from prophets who turn out to be Jay and Silent Bob. Uh, that's a bit of a stretch, but it's funny the way that that turns out. Mm-hmm. And because it was like, yeah, they, they kind of do have an integral part in it. It's not just Kevin Smith putting, his, putting these two characters in there and. Uh, you know, then you have Rufus, who's the thirteenth apostle, who is taken out of the Bible because he's black. Uh, Rufus, played by Chris Rock, and then you have Serendipity, played by Salma Hayek, and the all of these characters are basically helping uh, Bethany on her on her journey. And it turns out that Bethany is a is related to Jesus, and um, that's part of why she was chosen for this journey. So. Mm-hmm. And which and see that very nature. See, so the the fun thing was like I I was kind of and I wish I would have kept score, but as I'm watching through this and you know Kevin Smith on some level knew what he was doing, trying to figure out like what hot button topics can we piss off like uh, religious yeah. folks and Catholics with. It was like you know because good Bethany works at an abortion clinic. Check. Yeah. And as we're moving down the list on it, and especially um, I had to look up some of the stuff and some of it I, I remember back from seminary because I'm not I'm I'm not versed in Catholicism. Um, but, but you know, even the idea that uh, that Mary, uh, the mother of the Lord, had ever had sex with anyone, yeah. um, would just have been offensive. Even though, like as Smith would explain it, like yeah, her husband Joseph didn't leave, live with blue balls his entire life. Yeah, and it's and it's even in the Bible. Jesus has like you know they mention his like siblings, his like earthly siblings in the Bible. So again, mm-hmm. it's a it's kind of it's weird like how people. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I mean, I feel like because he he'll do something that's Kevin. He'll do something that that's meant to be offensive, but then also turn it into something sweet. Yeah. Um. At the it's just this weird uh, ability to kind of do that. Um. Mm-hmm. And it was. Um. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It and, was. It's. It. Yeah. And so we're <laughs> humanizing the story of Jesus too. Yeah. I mean, it's it's sort of like what Scorsese does in Last Temptation of Christ. It's like this is this is a movie that as much as that movie does it humanizes the story of Jesus for us. And, mm-hmm. you know, through, you know, his parents and realizing it's like, yeah, they, they, they didn't live celibate. I mean, they, yeah. they didn't live celibate. I mean, they, yeah, they, they will have had sex, but I mean, and the thing is the fact that that idea is so offensive, it's, it's, it, it points to how absolutely puritanical this country is when it comes to sex. I mean, <laughs> Well, it's in many ways. I feel like it ends up being hypocritically puritanical. Yeah. Meaning that uh, that I feel like a lot of like I'll probably offend any Catholics listening here, but I mean, like 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 most evangelicals or Catholics, you know, you have kind of the folks that show up every Sunday but don't completely know what they're doing mm-hmm. and don't really you haven't really like fully invested. It's kind of a once a week thing that you do there, and so they get easily offended on stuff that they don't even know what they're talking about. Um, and and as you go through a lot of this, I I just feel like. I mean, I mean, in in certain theological spheres, there's there's ongoing arguments uh, about like, did Jesus poop? 
Um, and I'm, I'm yeah. not joking. Like there's like, you know, cause what's he so divine that he would not need to poop or not. And, and some of that is just, it's so silly and it's so mm-hmm. ridiculous in how, how we deal with this. But like you had mentioned too, I feel like there was, there's just a whole humanizing effort. Like, uh, cause I do, I thought Chris Rock was excellent. Oh, yeah. Um, he's, he's uh, fantastic in, in this movie in this, but, but it, especially in the, the lines that he was written, it, it really humanizes, uh, a lot of the Jesus story that I think in many ways the church would rather, mm-hmm. I think the church would like Jesus to be more divine than human yeah. and not like kind of a mix of the both. And so they're more comfortable divine. Let's just keep him over here in like the, uh, on the crucifix and our church, uh, and let <laughs> us go about our business instead of actually thinking about the weirdness of. Well, I think a big, I gospels, think part yeah. of, and I think part of that it it comes from the idea. I I think it boils down to the idea of by keeping him divine, it's something that we are able to aspire to. The idea that he was just a human with the same human struggles, the same human uh, thoughts and feelings that we do. It, it it's. I can see why that's offensive to a lot of people, mm-hmm. but that's also what's so inspiring to me. And mm-hmm. and it's like, I, I'd much rather, you know, and so by humanizing him, you have this realization that his, his, his sacrifice is so much, it, it makes his sacrifice that much more impactful mm-hmm. because it's the whole idea of somebody who's sim, who is, like me in a lot of ways could possibly sacrifice themselves in that way. That means something that, you know, it's like if he's just divine, he's basically a superhero. And yeah. like that's, that's essentially what he is. And it's like, well, I mean, you know, how am I going to get up to that level? You're right. <laughs> like, how, like how can I aspire to be Superman? Uh, I yeah. can't, um, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, all right. Um, and yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right about that. And and what what hit me, what what in many ways, and again, <laughs> we'll probably piss off religious people. Hear me say this. I, actually, I in in certain sense, I feel like the heart of what what Kevin Smith is doing here is a lot closer to scripture um, than people want to admit. Because again, if you look at that through through different books of the Bible, it's about a bunch of fuck ups um, that are kind of stumbling in a direction towards God. You know what I mean? Like it is, it's a bunch of flawed people that, that mess up, that screw up, but somehow get it right 10% of the time, you know, but yeah. just enough type of a situation. And, and, and I feel that that's the, that's the humanity that a lot of, uh, especially we keep coming back to hitting on the conservatives, but like the conservatives, I feel like they try to steal the humanity out of the Bible, yeah. um, as, as opposed to kind of leaving it where it is. And in this, I mean, you know, you can't, you can't tell me like that Jesus's disciples may have not been like Chris Rock's character. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, you know, and most people would, would the way we've seen this, if you've ever looked at like re- religious iconography, the disciples look like they're old. And in reality, if you're actually reading this, most of them are anywhere from like 13, 14 to like 19 or, tw- or 20. So they're very young. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, these are going to be a bunch of just dudes that are probably just punching each other and screwing up and doing kind of like, what we would have been doing in high school too. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of like people like Jay and silent Bob hanging out with the Lord, you know, type of a situation. <laughs> um, and that's kind of how I kind of read the Bible in many ways. And to me, it feels more interesting and more human when you are able to see that. Yeah. The Bible's full of a bunch of fuck ups, but that's kind of humanity. And that's, mm-hmm. that's us. That's the predicament that we're in. Yeah. 
And you're absolutely right about Chris Rock in this as uh, Rufus. Rufus, and he. It's funny when I first saw the movie, it's like I was coming off of it as somebody who would watch Kevin Smith's earlier work, and it's like I wasn't thinking about. I wasn't necessarily thinking about the religious ideas, the ideas on faith. I mean, that came over time, the more I started to consider things like that. But at the same time, it's like, it's just an entertaining movie. Mm-hmm. Even, if you, even if you take, even if you don't even really think about the religious part of it, and it's still, it's still fun movie. It's still one of his most entertaining movies. But if you look at the dialogue that Rufus has with Bethany about the idea of you know, having a belief versus having an idea. It's like, not only is that deeply profound, it's also something that makes sense in the real world. Mm -hmm. Even even if you take it out of the religious context that it's in, it's still something that, wow, that that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Well, and Bethany's character, I mean, she's dealing with, if we're going to compare this to Omega Code, um, in Omega Code, like Casper Van Diem's character, I don't even remember his name, um, was, I mean, they, they like hinted at this stuff where it was like, oh, he has these like random visions and flashbacks that are just yeah. dumb plot devices, you know, where it's like, oh, my mother died. I hate you, God, you yeah. know, type situation. <laughs> and, and it's just played in a way that's just so on the surface that you're like, oh, okay, he's got mommy and God issues. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as we kind of get into Bethany's story, you're able just to kind of see the struggle of people that have that have wanted something, that have believed in something, that have tried for something and prayed for something, and life didn't go that way. Mm-hmm. And and I feel like that is far more human. I feel like that is far more part of the human story to be able to see that. That And even the fact that she keeps going yeah. to church, even though she doesn't know why anymore, but she still wants yeah. answers. She still hurts, and she's still in pain. And, and her, like, yeah, it's... I, there's so much. There's so much more humanity. Like, I, I think like, there's more humanity in probably like 30 seconds of this movie than there were in all of the Omega Code. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, and and uh, you know you're absolutely right. And it it really is such a it's such a spiritual journey. It's all about the spiritual journey. It's like yeah, you have the plot device of Bartleby and Loki, but it's a spiritual journey for them too. Like, mm-hmm. They were cast oh, it is. out. They they were cast out of heaven. And, you know, for, for things that they did and, you know, they've kind of adapt, you know, and Loki is basically adapted to his life and Matt Damon, this is some of the funniest work that Matt Damon's ever done, um, Mm -hmm. uh, as Loki, especially in the very beginning where he's talking to the nun and basically, you know, basically gets her to sort of, you know, recount her her faith, faith, lose her faith, (laughs) um, And Bartleby is, and Bartleby's sort of like that, but at the same time, he's got this itch to just he he's got this itch to get back into heaven. Mm-hmm. And the way the way that Kevin Smith builds that with Affleck and Damon, and you know, yeah, it's like oh, the Goodwill Hunting kids are you know two Avengers <laughs> angels, but at the same time, there's a reason you cast those two together, and yeah. because they have chemistry together. And, I mean, this is this is honestly some of the best work both of them have ever done. Yeah, yeah, I, I, it helped. I think it helps that he, they at least they have uh, they have a, they have a good script to work with. Yeah. Um, in in what they're doing and and what hit me a lot about this one was I was like when I was watching this uh, I rewatched it yesterday and trying to like think about like 
what was myself 20 years ago compared mm -hmm. to myself now and how I'm reading this. And, you know, tw I, I've probably spent, I've, again, I, I've spent a lot of my life in probably deconstructing faith and religion and trying to figure out where I am in the midst of it. And so I think like 20 years ago, this was, it was, it kind of felt a little South Park-ish, mm -hmm. um, you know, <laughs> kind of just going for shock and awe a little yeah. bit, but with heart. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was, cause I feel like many times South Park, they're just trying to piss people off and oh, yeah. having fun with pissing people off. But this one was kind of pissing people off, but also having that heart. And then I kind of, I watched it again from a different standpoint of just kind of going like, yeah, like I, I'm very much more, uh, I was, I was, I was a lot less uncomfortably laughing through this and yeah. more like, <laughs> like laughing, like, oh gosh, yes. You know, <laughs> I was, I was laughing with it more than I was mm -hmm. kind of going, oh gosh, am I allowed to laugh at this? Uh, <laughs> Uh, as I felt like years ago, and and it was it was kind of fascinating because I I I uh, I didn't make, but I, I had my my 17 year old son watch it. He's never seen it before. Mm -hmm. Um, and so him sitting down and watching it too, and and it's aged very well. Yes, it has. It's, it has aged very well. Yeah, and I and he was like, he's like, yeah, this well. is funny. This is good. Yeah. Um. He, yeah. And that that surprised me that that he he didn't feel like it had aged poorly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm curious. So, what did, what did he think overall? Did he, was he looking at more as a, a comedy, or was how was he thinking about it as you know, a work of faith as well? I, th I think he, he would probably say it was kind of a comedy that would lead you to go, huh, a bunch of times, <laughs> you know, type of situation yeah. to where it's. Uh, <laughs> Um, and so I think, yeah, cause again, there's, there's enough like shit and dick jokes in it to probably keep, uh, yeah. <laughs> to keep 17 year olds entertained. Uh, but he's, he's, I'm not going to say, I mean, but he, he's a smart kid. And, and mm. I think cause we had, we had a good discussion afterwards, just kind of talking through some of the stuff and, mm. and how it, it hit him in many ways and going like, yeah, he's like, yeah, I never really thought of it like that. Yeah. And, and I think the weird thing is, and no one will admit this, but that's like with most Christians they will say that like the Christian film industry is made around creating conversations mm -hmm. uh, and, and the idea that conversations will lead to conversions. And, and, and all, and all, I, I don't think I've, I've ever seen anything that's from like that Christian industrial complex movie making mm -hmm. machine or flicks and all that would ever a really make me watch more than 10 minutes uh, <laughs> or B like, but really like think deeply because, yeah. you know, in so many ways, they're just telling you what to think. Mm -hmm. They're telling you what yeah. to believe. They're telling it to you. And I feel like this, this movie takes you on at least enough of a journey to, to, to leave things unanswered. Mm -hmm. uh, and that to me, I feel like that's more interesting. That's more part of the like walk of faith is that there is a bunch of stuff I don't get. And yeah. it's nice. And other people don't get it. And you're not like alone and being like, well, yeah, I kind of feel like that way too. Um, and so I feel like something like this actually spurs more conversation Mm -hmm. than all that other junk that continues to get produced. Oh, I would agree with that. Absolutely. I mean, we, we touched on it in our discussion last year where it's like, I mean, the idea of anybody converting to, <laughs> you know, faith after, you know, one of those pure flicks movies and stuff like that, it's kind of absurd because it's like you're, they're preaching to the converted. They're really, yes. it's basically a sermon. It That's what it, it is. is. Yeah. And, you know, it's like I, I saw, um, you know, we, we talked about it a little bit, or at least I mentioned it a little bit. I saw that one movie, Breakthrough, earlier this year about the kid who falls in the ice and the mother. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's like, it's, it's part of that group, and it's like, yeah, it doesn't really, like, I, I think it's an okay movie, but it's, it's not something that makes me 
feel particularly, you know, amazed about the power of faith. It's like yeah. it, it well, just doesn't have that impact on me. Well, the, I mean, the, the entire like notion behind faith is the idea that you're believing in something that you can't see yeah. or can't completely feel. And so that it, it there's a, there's an inherent mystery to it. Mm-hmm. And the idea of mystery also leaves there's inherently questions to it. Yeah. And and I feel like the for me at least that's what I, I that's I, the thing that I continue to come back to is I, I would rather have those questions and wrestle well with people that I know. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the, I feel like the richness of life and faith come from those wrestling of questions, as opposed to being. I mean, you're right. I mean, I feel like it's like a, a lot of like those pure flicks movies are kind of just you can watch a PowerPoint presentation of. This is what I believe. This yeah. is, you know, it's, I mean, every like plot point is, is, is something else. And there's, there's not, nothing's ever in jeopardy. Nothing's ever real. Mm-hmm. No one's ever a real character because, oh my gosh, if we were to screw up or swear or do anything, <laughs> oh my gosh, God would be offended. Yeah. Well, and also you ultimately know where the movie is going to head. Yep. You ultimately know what point where it's going to head and it's going to head toward that big epiphany that the main characters have of this is why faith matters. And it's yes. like, this is why, this is why religion matters. This is why Jesus matters. This, you know, it, that it's all about getting to that moment. And, uh, you know, whether, you know, and yes, I suppose they would want the audience to feel that way, but you know, they, so long as they feel like they've gotten to that point, it doesn't necessarily matter to them what the audience gets to. Yeah. Or, yeah. And so, yeah, the idea of, um, yeah, the idea of any of those movies bringing up a conversation that leads towards conversion is inherently silly because of the fact mm-hmm. that it's like, I don't see anybody, you know, I don't see anybody converting because of something they saw it or at least heading towards the direction of conversion yeah because of an on, honest conversion like this honest conversion i'll say you know yeah. in many ways yeah. you know there's because they're very manipulative and they, they they're mainly just propaganda films oh yeah um <laughs> and um and so yeah and so yeah i i don't know i yeah i would rather i would rather like wrestle through this kind of stuff because i find mm-hmm. it's way more interesting and, and i felt like that was one thing kevin smith was doing i felt like I don't feel like he had all the answers. Um, I felt mm-hmm. like we were wrestling through this with him. And I thought like, you don't often see someone kind of bring up those raw questions on film. Um, yeah. You may find authors that will do that, but you don't see it kind of in a cinematic way that makes people want to go and watch it mm-hmm. um, like this. And I think because of this, I mean, you were able to see other movies. I think he does it better than I was. It made me think of like other ones, like the, uh, the invention of lying. Yeah. Uh, like with Ricky Gervais, I, you know, I think Kevin Smith has a lot more heart in this movie than, yeah, than the invention of lying. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I, it's, it, it is, it's, it's a fascinating thing. And it's, I, I was just honestly surprised at how well it ages mm-hmm. going through this. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's the thing about Kevin, especially Kevin Smith's earlier work. Like his later mm-hmm. work is not as good, but like certainly these first few movies, at least through certainly through dogma and even up to like clerks too, like mm-hmm. they there's there's something there there's something very real there there's something very personal there even through the comedic sort of insanity of some of the things they puts his characters in mm-hmm. i mean that's certainly the case with this i mean it is something this is some definitely a movie where i can you know it's like even 
even myself who is not particularly religious, you know, I, I find myself, you know, thinking about issues of faith. I, mm-hmm. I and how what faith means and how important it is. And mm-hmm. even as somebody who isn't pr- religious, faith is important. You know, it's mm-hmm. like and I see, you know, I see friends and family have it. And it's like I get why it's important. And mm-hmm. I it's even for me it's important to have faith in something. You know, yeah. you don't and you don't, but you don't have to necessarily define it and you know write it out in uh, big big letters, which is basically what Rufus is telling Bethany. You know, it's yeah. like you you know idea. He prefer that's why he prefers ideas to beliefs. Beliefs are yeah. a lot harder to break. Ideas they can evolve over time. Yeah. Well, that and I think that was like one of the things that struck me when we were like comparing and contrasting those two movies. I felt like the Omega Code is like religious but not spiritual. Yeah. And I feel like this movie is like spiritual but not religious. Yes. Um, yeah. It was. It, it kind of. They kind of just felt like, oh wow, like I'm being told what to think here. And the other one, I kind of feel like I'm going on a journey here um, along yeah. with these characters. And like, even if you like, I, I was sitting down because, I, I mean, I feel like I, I take your podcast more serious than mine, so I, I take way more notes. And I found myself, like, I took so many more notes, mainly just me just being an ass about the Omega Code and so many less notes watching this movie because I just, I I, I wasn't paying attention to all, like, the, uh, yeah, I mean, I was drawn, I was drawn into the story and I wasn't caring about technical issues or Mm -hmm. other, just other stuff that I could rip on or make fun of. And I was just kind of like, oh, I'm, I'm on a journey here. Like, that's, that's good cinema makes me forget that I'm sitting here and trying to be a critic. Yeah. Well, and I, I know I, I took less i i think i took less notes with dogma than mega code too but part of that is because of the fact that i've seen dogma so many more times mm, like i've mm. seen i i try to see dogma every maybe every couple of years um okay. because it's a movie that i genuinely enjoy it's a movie i'm genuinely entertained by and mm-hmm. you know i just those the questions that kevin smith is asking the ideas that he's presenting are just they're they're just part of the you know, they're just a bonus for me. It's yeah. it's not even the main thing. It, the main thing for me is just an entertaining movie. The added bonus is the fact that it's like, this is kind of a, this is a movie that means something and mm-hmm. has something very important to say. Um, and yeah, I mean, you're, we haven't even talked about the fact that George Carlin plays, uh, yeah, <laughs> play, plays a Catholic priest who's yeah. the priest of this uh, church that's using uh, <clears throat> planetary indulgence, or what, what is it? Planetary indulgence? Isn't that? Yeah. The, it's, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's some sort of like, yeah, it's some sort of bizarre kind of, uh, side Catholic belief that he's pushing there. But the main yeah. thing that we remember from George Carlin is, yeah, he's, this is where like the meme buddy Jesus came from. Yep. Um, so that was, <laughs> yes. Yeah, uh, buddy Christ. Yeah, um, buddy Christ. There we go. Yeah. And, and that's, that's one of the, that's it just, it, it pokes at the ribs of, you know, especially Catholicism, but at the same time, it's that all of that, all of that's, I mean, Really, if you're if you really want to think about it, it's like I mean, Grand. This was this wasn't at a time that you know we we talked about with Omega Code that the whole Christian film industry wasn't you know as big as it is now. But it's like that's basically Kevin Smith sort of like 
poking fun at all these people trying to make religion hip in order to yeah. sell it to younger people. Mm-hmm. And I mean that that's all that is. It's really Oh, and it's and it and it's Christ st- is. Oh, and and it still and it still exists and so if yeah. anyone this is a total aside like there is a um there is the world's best not the world's best but it's a fairly interesting and humorous uh, Instagram account called um preachers and sneakers. <laughs> and and so it's someone that actually literally like these big pre- uh, pastors and preachers that are the cool ones now. Yeah. And so this guy, he just, he goes and takes uh, uh, like uh, snapshots that they posted online and then tells you how much money they paid for their outfits. <laughs> um, like, and a lot of them are they're like thousand dollar sneakers. Yeah. You have this and, and it's, you see that all this is marketing again, like you'd mentioned, like buddy Christ is this idea that, Oh, these new pastors, you have to look this certain way and do all of this. And still it's marketing. Yeah. And it's marketing, and it still has nothing to do with any of the stuff, the stuff that really matters. It's just it's a marketing machine. Yeah. Um, whereas faith has become an industry uh, in America. I mean, really, that's 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 kind of what that that's kind of what uh, Carlin's church is playing yep. towards as well. Is a whole all it is is a ploy to get people into the seats. Mm-hmm. That's that's really it by saying. Oh, your sins are, you know, your sins are forgiven. You come through the, you, you go through the church and, you know, you're clean of sin, you're free of sin. And, you know, who wouldn't want that? Yes. <laughs> it's like, yeah. that's, that's all it is. And it's like, that's, that's one of the, it's, and you, you comparing it to South Park, it's very spot on. Like, I mean, South Park is more savage but yeah. like Kevin, it's more savage and more direct. But Kevin Smith is, it's very sly satire. It's very, it, it's, it's, it's a they. He'd much rather nudge religion and nudge these institutions than mm-hmm. him with a, uh, him with a sledgehammer. Yeah, and I think that's what actually, makes it so impactful. And to tell me if you feel like this was fair. I hadn't thought about this until I watched it again yesterday. In in many ways, it kind of. Just, just the nature of going on this kind of haphazard um, journey. It, it reminded me a lot of even Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, um, yeah. more, more so the book than the film mm-hmm. by, by Douglas Adams. You know, it, it did. It kind of felt like this weird, almost like road trip, with all of these characters that are spouting really interesting <laughs> stuff. Yeah. And philosophizing about all this stuff in life, and but they're all just ordinary and weird and odd and. That's an interesting comparison. Yeah, yeah I can, I can see that. Um, yeah, I, I can definitely see that. I mean, and, and the fact of the matter is, it's like, I, I do think that it, it shows just how this, I mean, I go overall, I kind of think Chasing Amy is still probably his best film. Mm. Um, I, I think overall it's, it's much tighter as far as, yeah. uh, the type of story it's telling. This one's a little bit more loose, but this, this one, this one is just so much more compelling and it's it's one of the richest screenplays i think mm-hmm. i mean really any comedic filmmaker recently has ever done mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. a big part of it is because of the how many layers you have you have the yeah. you you have the silly comedy you have the raunchy comedy and but at the same time you have this other layer that's a little bit more serious but not so serious because of the fact that it's like you have during the scene where Rufus tells Bethany her lineage, you have the punchline of Jay saying, so is that <laughs> Bethany part black? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, it, well, it every, yeah, it, it keeps kind of tight, yeah, and it, it, it folds back on itself, especially yeah. all these just all these storylines that are going from here to there um, with that too. Yeah, and the, the, I mean, I will say like it is there was, I think. I think to have, and I'm not the only like, critique I would probably even have for the film would just be I think it could have been tightened up a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. But again, it's <laughs> it, we're look we're looking back 20 years mm -hmm. um, on this as well. So, <laughs> so no, it's it's it's, yeah. it's definitely slightly indulgent. I mean, it it could have been trimmed <laughs> a lot. But yeah. I mean, there yeah. the the fact of the matter is, it's like it's more just getting scenes a bit tighter yeah. than yeah. taking any scenes out. I don't think there's really even the movie scene, which feels very indulgent to a certain extent, mm -hmm. that it, was what I was thinking it, about. It yeah. ultimately, it ultimately serves. You ultimately see the purpose when you see Loki and Bartleby confront all of these executives for how how they've gone about business, and you understand why why they feel like this is something that they're doing. Mm -hmm. That's well, and, and, I, do. and in that way too, because that one kind of even parallels, I think, as much as. Because they're kind of rifting on Disney to some degree yeah. um, with that, but it's also I feel like just layering that it also is paralleling it to how the church is a business, mm -hmm. um, because especially yeah with, with Carlin's character as well that this is it's a marketing campaign that they're doing because they need yeah. to get more butts in the seats and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but I okay, so for you, my son had this question for you, okay. the film critic, the official film critic. Uh, he pointed this out. I never thought of this, uh, but was that so? Uh, Matt Damon's character is. Who is Matt Damon's character Loki. in this? Yeah, Loki. And in Thor Ragnarok, <laughs> he plays Matt Damon Loki plays Loki. In a play, yes. I, yes. Yeah, and, I, is is that just coincidence, or is there a little bit of wink, wink? I'm that, sure he asked me that, and I was like, I don't know. It honestly would not surprise me if it's a little bit more than coincidence. I I think you know it's like uh, the director of uh, Ragnarok has a pretty uh, sly sense of humor, so I have mm -hmm. no doubt that into the, the back of his mind, he was thinking, oh, hey, Matt Damon played Loki in Dogma. It's like, <laughs> I completely believe that. But, okay. uh, so yeah, I, I'm sure it's probably, I'm, I'm sure there's, I'm, I'm sure it's more than a little intentional. Uh, okay. It's, it's, it's funny that, you know, people, you know, you have people who may not, who may pick up on that or may not pick up on that as well. Um, it it's funny because of the fact that like one of one of my notes I have is uh <coughs> Rickman uh Rickman's character when he and Bethany are first sitting down and talking, uh he he mentions he he sort of chides Bethany for the fact that she's got some of her religious knowledge from the Charlton Heston movie. You know, mm -hmm. assuming we're talking about the Ten Commandments here. Uh, I this is something I actually have wanted to talk to you about because so I saw the documentary Hail Satan a couple of months ago. Yeah. About the uh say Satanic Temple and how they're going against these uh statues of the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of history to that. I'm curious to see if you know it. What where does the idea of the uh Ten Commandment statues come from? Oh, like putting them up in places? Yes. Uh, I have no idea. So, I, yeah, that tell movie, me. So that movie, when the Ten Commandments, the Cecil B. DeMille one with Charlton Heston was coming out, 
that's one of the things they did to promote the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christians. I know that is what... <laughs> Being, being marketed again. Oh gosh, never that, end on the joke. Yeah, that uh, was when I when I saw that. It's oh like, wow! Oh my god, you've got to be kidding me. That is that is an, that is, it it makes it makes a lot of sense. It does. It actually really does. But at the same time, the idea that that was sort of the first time that you know, and again, you've got Hollywood Hollywood catering to the faithful through you know mass production mass marketing and stuff like that. And the idea that they would think that would be a way to do it. It's yes. like, okay, well, guess what? Christians about 40 years down the road, they're going to start to think that's not a bad idea. Well, I mean, which, which even on that, this is an aside, but the, the funniest thing is they've actually, which again, like kind of tying this into like the whole movie, like golden calf idea. Yeah. Uh, and, and the movie where that's, they're, they're seeing that as an idol, something that you're worshiping other than God. Yeah. And, in many ways, especially in the South, with all of how the Christians have had outrage that, like, uh, we can't have monuments of the Ten Commandments in our courthouses and in state buildings. Yeah. I mean, they've turned that into some sort of weird, bizarre, like, yeah. worship, worshipful icon. And mm-hmm. I've, I've always been like, why is it there to begin with? Like, <laughs> it's not like, you know, you're going to have people in court being like, well, it says over here in this Ten Commandments poster. Yeah, exactly. that uh, let me write. No, you're like, no, no, we, we're dealing on a wholly different like legal code system. This is not like, mm-hmm. it doesn't belong here. Why is this here to begin with? <laughs> yeah. Because um, Charlton Heston. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 he screwed up. He, he screwed up with guns. He screwed That's up right. with religion. We, we could probably <laughs> fall down like at the end of Planet of the Apes, like, damn you. <laughs> damn you, Charlton Heston. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> we're going a bit off the reservation here, but that's sure. quite all right. That's quite all yeah. right. Um, yeah. I mean, ultimately I brought up, uh, it's, it's, we, I have to mention Janine Garofalo. There really are really yeah. good performances throughout oh my the gosh. entire yes. movie. There's Janine Garofalo who's only in a few scenes at the beginning as another Planned Parenthood, uh, um, worker with Bethany. Mm-hmm. And then you have Jason Lee, as mm-hmm. uh, Azrael, who's sort of who who we find out is basically the ringmaster of all of this, uh, with Bartleby and Loki. Um, oh, who else? Uh, I remember big. Um, I remember because I think Dogma played at Cannes that year too, mm-hmm. and I remember the hearing about the um, the movie scene, the shootout, the movie office. That mm. that was that was a bit controversial given that we were like a month off of uh, Columbine, um, oh, and you okay. have these two people with trench coats going in and shooting up place. Um, I one of my favorite pieces of common one of my favorite pieces of trivia I've ever gotten off of the commentary is when Kevin Smith and them are talking about the fact that if you look at all of the executive most of the executives in the movie scene. Like they all are stunt people, and it was because <laughs> of the fact that they were. It was supposed to be this bigger, elaborate sequence, and mm-hmm. then it's like, no, that's not really. You know, that's not really how it should be. And, and ultimately, what they do in the movie is the right choice. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 yeah. It wouldn't have forwarded um, anything any better. No, to, no, a, and, to have seen I mean, it happen. It would have yeah. been one of those things where it's like you and I are talking about. It's like, yeah, there's some trimming that could be done to tighten this. Mm-hmm. 
movie up, but it's like ultimately that was something that yeah that need didn't need to happen throughout the movie. Um, you the the fact that you just have all of the all so many of these characters, and then of course you have uh, Alanis Morissette playing God at yes. the end, which was upsetting to Christians for a lot of reasons, uh, not just because of the fact that God was being played by a woman, but the fact that it was played by Alanis Morissette. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but, uh, that, that's, that ending, it's, it's one of the most, it, it really is very beautiful ending. Mm-hmm. Like you have, you have so many silly things going on in that ending leading up to it. But once she comes into play and she, you know, she's mute in, in the role. And, you know, that's the whole point for Alan Rickman's character. And, uh, she she's mute and she plays it just so genuinely. It's and almost like a child too. Yeah, it's such yeah. a lovely piece of work. It's just such a small, it's such a small role and it has the impact that it's supposed to have. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's just points to just how good Kevin Smith is as a director as well as a writer. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I think this is one of the movies that's still his most impressive movie from a storytelling standpoint. I I mm-hmm. think you know because of the fact that he was such able to tell this bigger story on such a small scale. It's like that's one of the things that's so enlightening about the movie about him as a storyteller. How it's like you don't need to go big with it. It's like you know. Mm-hmm. He can he can go big silly with it in something like Mallrats or Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, but it's like he can also do something more personal to it. And I think that's one of the yeah. things I've always loved about Dogma. I mean, mm-hmm. it it's it's a movie that still holds up compared to like we've talked about. It still holds up remarkably well, and mm-hmm. I think a big part of it is because of Kevin Smith's craft and his ability to tell a good story, but also the story that he's telling. It is, and 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 when I was thinking through this, like it, a lot of times when you have like uh, folks that are from uh, like, that have been part of stand-up comedy, um, they they don't always translate to being good actors. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like for most of the characters in here, whether they be the stand-up comics or others, every like character was well within their range. Yeah. Um, you know, and I felt like everyone fi- it, they felt like they filled the character, they filled the role, and it felt you know human. Um, and it wasn't like, I didn't feel like anybody was stretched and I didn't feel like anybody was out of place, um, in that. I mean, probably the worst characters are just the weird, uh, hockey kids. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, I mean, and they, they don't have a speaking role at all. They're in a handful of roles. I know, I know. Scenes and, you know, you don't really see him again until later. And it's like, yeah. so yeah, I mean, but no, you're absolutely right as far as, uh, cause yeah, this is, this is, this is just genuinely strong work from everybody. And mm-hmm. it's not just, I mean, you know, yeah, some of these actors are not necessarily the best actors. It's like, I think, I would say maybe, well, I would say Alan Rickman's the best actor of the bunch and probably followed by Matt Damon after that. I, I think those mm-hmm. two are the ones that have showed the most range over the years. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, Ben Affleck is terrific. I mean, he's got history. Yeah. He had history with Kevin Smith, so where it's like Kevin Smith knows his strength. He yes. knows Jason Mew's strengths. He knows yes. Jason Lee's strengths. He knows mm-hmm. a lot of these characters, actors' strengths. And it's like, even somebody like Fiorentino, who he hadn't worked with before, 
and I think the original, I think he was originally thinking of uh, Joey Lauren Adams as. Oh God, the, that would have been a very different movie. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that was when they were still together. Sure. So, yeah, yeah. um, I think that was the original. I think he, she was the original choice for Bethany, but ultimately Fiorentino's the right choice for Bethany because yeah. of what she's able to bring to the movie. Yeah, yeah. And oh my gosh, that would have been a very different movie. <laughs> yeah, <it> would. <laughs> that would have been. A, yeah, <laughs> it really would have. <laughs> oh man. Um, yeah. I think it still would have been good, but I don't know if it would have been quite as good. Yeah. No, yeah. I think you're right. I know it's like I'm like it's almost like I'm self-editing in my head going through like in a bunch of like the the scenes where Bethany is just so good. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. So yeah, you're right. I mean, I think you're. It is. It was just well. It was very well cast. Yeah. Um. One one all one small thing I will say. We we talked about the film music for the Omega Code. I I Ooh. would be remiss if I didn't mention the fantastic Howard Shore, uh, mm-hmm. writing the music for Dogma, which is, uh which is one of my favorite scores of his. Um, it, in sort of to, in another sort of compare and contrast with the Omega Code, uh, <laughs> like Manfredini, before, up until Dogma, Howard Shore was best known for horror because he was mm-hmm. David Cronenberg's composer for the longest time and even afterwards. And uh, so he'd done a lot of horror scores for Cronenberg as well as Silence of the Lambs. But, you know, it's funny because he was also at one point musical director for SNL. So really? you have that, which I didn't know for a while. So you have that and then you have his work for uh, Tim Burton for Ed Wood that shows he's got a little bit more of a playful side. And one of the things I like about score for this is that it's it's got some comedic elements to it, especially the the really insane, annoying movies theme. Um, but also you just have a genuinely lovely uh, dramatic score too that ties into the key emotional moments of the movie. Mm-hmm. No, and I, I, I like, well, comp- yeah, comparing and contrasting, I felt like, yeah, with the Omega Code, we said this earlier, but it was almost like the score was the best actor in the Omega Code. Like yeah. at least, you know, at least <laughs> telling us kind of what to do at every turn. Oh, now mm-hmm. it's menacing. Oh, now... We're happy. Oh, now we're scary. And and it was like, I feel like it did a better job than the actors did. Yeah. And in this other one, I feel like a, any good score is, it just elevates everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not obvious, but it's like, it's like another character that's elevating another layer to the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, I think it, it pairs very, very well. Yeah. Uh, let's see what else I want to say. I, I, the fact that the premise of, dogma is set up in the first 10 minutes and it's mm-hmm. like basically every aspect of the movie is basically set up you know you have yep. the scene with bud court who plays god in the movie um you see that attack even though you don't know the significance of that attack all at the beginning of the movie you have that and then you have the scene with matt damon and ben affleck at the airport that sets up their journey. And then the next scene you have, you see Bethany in church and then it starts off with that journey. And it's it's such a well, it's such a well-constructed piece of storytelling. Mm -hmm. And it's like compared to, you know, (laughs) you look at something like the Omega code, it's just ticking boxes. 
It's not really interested in telling a story of significance. It's just ticking boxes on a genre. Or, or ticking boxes. This is what got me about this as I was watching this. I was paying way too much attention uh, to the Omega Code. But it was like, it was almost like we're like, we're probably right before the third act in the Omega Code. There's this whole like chase sequence. Yeah. That turns out to be like a dream sequence. <laughs> oh my, yes. And it's like, it's 10 <laughs> minutes of nothing. And, and I'm watching this and I'm going like, okay, oh wait, what? He just, what? Like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> they, I th- they were. Pu- I think they were pushing it to get it to an hour and thirty minutes. I think so. Yeah. Oh my word! I complete. How I just watched it this morning. Yeah, I forgot about the dream sequence. That because you want to forget about it. You want to forget about it. Wait a minute. What? I I can't. So, I, okay. Now I'm actually confused because it's like there the scene that takes us out of that sequence. It yeah. makes you think that. They left L.A., yep. which is where this sequence, this chase sequence takes place. Yep. And then they got back to Jerusalem. Yeah, because so he like, wakes up. He he was having a bad dream. I I don't know. It's it's. But yeah. Oh, I, it's really I bad storytelling. Yeah, it's it's all it's, it's awful storytelling. Um, I think I think your brain was <laughs> deleting that on purpose. It was just like it, it must delete have been. delete. It must have been. Yeah. That's the only excuse. Uh, that that is the only excuse. It's like, oh man, I uh, this this is this is fun. This is a fun discussion. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you have anything more to say about uh, dogma before we wrap it up? No, no, I I just uh, no, I appreciated the opportunity to be able to to really kind of sit back and watch it more from a critical standpoint because I hadn't seen it in, in a number of years too. Yeah. So no, I, I appreciate the opportunity to do this. And oh no to, problem. And that yeah. with you. I promise that I, I promise I'll try to avoid giving you terrible movies to watch. But I mean, if we continue, oh, it's always the, fun. If, if we continue <laughs> talking about faith-based movies, chances are that's yeah. going to happen. Um, oh, I, I can do this all day in my sleep. So no, man, it's all good. I enjoy this, man. I'd like to thank Stuart Deloney for joining me today. Uh, catch him at www.snarkyfaith.com. That's it for the Sonic Cinema podcast for now. Our Class of '99 movie will run through will continue with the final film of a great filmmaker's career as well as one of the most influential and uh inspired comedies of 1999 so i hope you join me for that for now this is uh brian scuttle hit me up on sonic cinema patreon at patreon.com backslash sonic cinema uh you'll see early access reviews to a lot of 1999 movies and uh, as well as the Sonic Cinema podcast YouTube page and at www.sonic-cinema.com. Thank you very much.